Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. When We Rise from Academy Award winner Dustin Lance Black chronicles the gay rights movement in the U.S. Newsday declares it important television. Starring Academy Award nominee Rachel Griffiths, Emmy winners Mary Louise Parker and Guy Pearce, as well as a star-studded supporting cast that includes Whoopi Goldberg, Rosie O'Donnell, David High Pierce, Michael Kenneth Williams, Felicia Rashad, Rob Reiner, Ivory Aquino, and more. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, including Outstanding Limited Series. Welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking about When We Rise with creator Dustin Lance Black. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's executive editor of TV, and I'm here with Lance Black to talk about When We Rise. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. Of course. So congratulations on When We Rise. Thank you so much. It's been quite a journey. I'm sure. Yeah. So When We Rise has aired. Talk about the success of it. How are you feeling about it now that everyone has seen it? Well, not everyone has seen it yet, uh, but that's part of the success of it so far, has been watching the slow and steady build of viewership with it. Um, and that does matter to me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, we had our live numbers come in and I wanted more. Um, and then to see how that's built over the past month as people find it on demand and DVR, which I guess is part of the revelation. Well, that's how we watch miniseries now. And sure. now I think the latest numbers have over 30 million people have either watched it or started watching it. And, you know, that might not be the biggest hit in television, but... That's more than ever saw an LGBTQ history project in in a movie theater ever combined. Sure. Milk, Brokeback Mountain, Moonlight combined, and so that's inspiring to me. I but I, I want to keep I want to keep moving forward. Um, you know, the critical response was wonderful. The viewer response was unlike anything I've ever experienced on any project I've done, and I've been blessed. Um, but it was a really. It, it was clear how much the LGBTQ community was starving for their history and the power that folks have already been able to draw from it. Uh, that's been palpable. And so, you know, I'm happy, but I'm never satisfied, but that's my nature. And, and I don't think I'll be happy until uh, more people have seen it and that it's being used as curriculum in high schools to start to teach our history alongside our other uh, social justice movement histories. How are you going to accomplish that? Are you going to send it out to high schools? So right now we have three organizations um, working to build curriculum and a syllabus around it. Um, I, I always say go to the people who know how to do it best. Uh, so I'm very excited about working with 
uh, the the groups who already have those relationships in schools have already made inroads um, when it comes to LGBTQ stories and history and support in high schools. And so um, ABC working with their partners like Listen to, to get it into schools. But you got to build a syllabus and you you got to make it into a curriculum. Uh, and the real goal is to have it in schools by October for LGBTQ History Month. Let's talk about the project. I mean, I know we've spoken before, but why don't you start from the beginning? What were your goals? What did you set out to do when you created this project? Well, when I first started it, I was really worried that we were losing sight of the power of we in social justice movements. And and some of that was when I was uh, walking up the steps of the Supreme Court with a Supreme Court case around marriage equality. I left filmmaking for four years to fight for marriage equality in this country. We were succeeding, many of us for the first time in this movement. We didn't know how, what to make of this success. And I started to be concerned that we were getting so drunk on that success that we were losing our connection, those valuable connections to other social justice movements. And it's those connections with uh, racial minorities, with women who are being treated differently, um, with with uh, people who pray to a different God, with workers, with all of the folks who we had built these strong coalitions with before, dating all the way back to Harvey Milk. Where were they? And if you... Any social justice movement that becomes isolated becomes weak. And I think we'd all become a bit weak. And I worried we'd be defeated if we did. And we were. That's what happened. And so if, when I first started working on it, uh, it, was a, it was a warning. And now I think it's a roadmap to get back. It's a roadmap to say, and it's why these characters aren't all uh, fighting just for LGBTQ equality. When you look at the series, when you meet these people in the beginning, they're working for the women's movement, the black civil rights movement, the peace movement. They end up giving back uh, to help with immigration reform and health care reform. They understand the interconnectedness of the S's. Um, and I hope this is a roadmap that says, hey, look at these true stories. Look how strong we were when we came together. Look how... How, how much progress we made when we fought for our neighbor as hard as we fought for ourselves and how we made our lives better and joyful in the end. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping people heed the lessons of these real-life stories so we can start to push back against this backlash that we're living in right now. What are some of those lessons? What are the messages that you want to send? Well, n- number one, don't be myopic. You know, I say this to my brothers in the LGBTQ movement. Um, Harvey Milk built a coalition of the S's to get elected. That was not just LGBTQ people in that coalition. Yes, he had to bring together gays and lesbians who weren't even getting along at the time, but he also reached out to workers who weren't getting paid a fair enough wage to be able to put their talented children through school. He reached out to racial minorities in San Francisco who weren't having their votes counted properly. He worked out, reached out to seniors who couldn't afford to live in the city they'd grown up in and built. And by building that coalition, he got elected and start winning, started winning at the ballot box. We can do that again, folks. But we have to make sure when we're chanting gay, straight, black, white, same struggle, same fight, that we, we don't just say those words because they rhyme and sound good together, but that we actually show up for our brothers and sisters and other social justice movements. That's what When We Rise is about. That's why the we is the biggest word in it. That's what, for those who haven't seen the series yet, you're going to see yourself in some form in this series. It's not just LGBTQ history. Every single one of us on this planet are a minority in one way or another. It just depends on how you slice that pie. We all have an investment in different people being treated equally. 
So for those who haven't seen the series, talk a little bit how you built it and how you shaped it around these key characters. Well, well, Cleve Jones, for example, I mean, you know, you jokingly call him the Forrest Gump because he's at every place in history. He is. He's like, he's Gazelleg. <laughs> <laughs> he just appears everywhere. I mean, you know, he, he, he worked really hard to stay in it. And that was number, I had like three things I really wanted. Four years ago when I started working on this, I said, I would love for these to whoever I portray, I want them to be lifelong activists. And that really narrowed it down because activist work is difficult. Um, you're most often getting eaten by your own. Because let's social justice work. We're all moving through the dark. There's no right way. We don't know what the right path is yet. We're trying to find it, and so we disagree a lot, and that's tough. Mm-hmm. Most activists probably last like three or six years. I wanted folks who'd lasted a lifetime, so I could tell a story that started in their teenage years and took us to today. I wanted, like I said, for them to come to, from other social justice movements. That also narrowed it down. Uh, and last but not least, I wanted to stop telling the story that if you dedicate your life to working for a cause or for making your neighbor's life better, that in the end you had to die. I've told that story. And I thought it's about time for us to say that people concerned with social justice can fight. They can fight for their own lives, for their families' lives, their neighbors' lives, and they can survive and thrive. And so I wanted them all to still be alive. And that really narrowed it down, mostly because there was a plague in the middle of it. Um, And so... Uh, I constructed it with those thoughts in mind. Uh, It took about a year to find a group of people who checked those boxes and actually knew each other and and had built a little makeshift family in San Francisco in the early 70s who worked together up until now. Um, And I was really lucky to have found that. They're they're one of the few, if not the only, groups like that that still exist. Um, And so this is their story. It's not all of our story. It's not all of the LGBTQ story. I love that the only criticism I'm hearing from my community is more, 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 more. That's what you know when you did it right. When the critics are saying, is it, is it too dense? Is there too much? And the audience is saying, no way. Give us more. We want more. We can take this. We need it. We're starving for it. Uh, and, and it is useful. And our history is power. Um, and so... You know, it was it was that construction with these people that starts to lift up who we are as a people, but the work's not done with when we rise. How much did you have to add fiction to fact? How much of their story is true? Well, I don't like to, you know, that's a really good question. And it's one that I, I ask my students when I teach, you know, based on a true story film, how, how far do you feel comfortable bending reality before it snaps? And there are some filmmakers who feel that they can bend it very far. I want these stories to be unassailable. I want them to be so authentic that they can't be easily dismissed. I'm interested with stories like this in creating a history we can stand on like a foundation. So I do not fictionalize very much. My fictionalization comes in, let's be honest, These. this is a 40-year story that you learn about in six hours if you take the commercials out. So telescoping timeline, um, combining characters, uh, those, are, those are the two big things you have to do if you're going to get it to fit. Um, and, and I had to do some of that. But at the end of the day, I, I feel like I can't bend to the truth too far without it snapping. And in this day and age, uh, you know, the way these things get attacked is by saying that this never happened. If you look online with the attacks we got on the trailer, it wasn't saying this is bad. It's saying this never happened. 
is saying this is false. These things were never said by this extreme right group. And, and, and I thought that was, in, that was insidiously clever because the way you disempower people is you take away their history. And so the last thing I wanted was uh, for anyone to say that this didn't happen. And, and it's, I, I didn't make this alone. I worked with a, a group of writers and directors and filmmakers, um, and uh, we worked closely with the real people all the way through post. Um, and what's rare is to have all of the real people still standing beside the project the way they are and standing behind it and promoting it and saying, yes, this is truthful. This week's episode is brought to you by Emmy-nominated comedy series Blackish. It just wrapped another critically hailed and hilarious season with creator and executive producer Kenya Barris tackling the recent presidential election, the birth of a new child, and the send-off of another to college. Blackish stars Emmy nominees Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding comedy series. As The Atlantic says, it's not just TV, it's art. You also got a fantastic cast. Talk about how you got these amazing actors to sign on for this project. Um, I, it's, I'm fortunate that I, I'm in the pigeonhole I'm in. <laughs> and it's, uh, it, it means I'm, trying, I'm doing work that, that attempts to move the needle. Um, and it's not every day that a, a network is as brave as ABC has been and such a strong partner on this uh, to support this project, to say we're going to air it. Um, uh, and, and I think when we submitted it to my Dreamcast, they saw two things. They're like, this is trying to move the needle. This is trying to shine light um, on an issue. And the fact that ABC is behind it the way they are and wants to put it out there for the world to see, not just to preach to the choir, but for the world to see, well, that's moving and we might actually move the needle a little bit. Um, and it's not every day you get that opportunity in Hollywood, let's be honest. And so when I, my dream for Roma Guy was Mary Louise Parker. From pretty early on, she has the humor that you find in the real Roma, but she'll also cut you down if you start to lie. And, uh, and so that was the first ask. And she, I'll never forget driving home in London late at night, and I got the call that she had said yes. And that's the first moment I dared to believe we'd actually pull off this mad venture of bringing LGBTQ history to ABC. Um, and then it, and then it snowballed from there. Um, and, and I, after completing writing, I really wanted, uh, Guy Pierce. Um, and, uh, and we called and called and called, uh, and it was only after Rachel Griffiths came in to meet about playing Dion Jones that she said, have you considered Guy Pierce for this role? And, and I said, boy, have we ever, we want him. Uh, to do this so badly, and I, I'll never know if it did any good. But she said she was going to call him, and within a week he called and said yes, and 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 it built from there. Um, a very emotional phone call from Michael K. Williams in the airport in San Francisco when I was scouting, uh, who said, you know, I lost my family of friends in New York during this plague. I, this is very personal to me, and I don't think he ever said can I play this? He's like, so when I show up on set to play this, dot, 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 uh, you know, he was, he owned it. Um, so, and, and, and not to discount the incredibly talented 
group of young people who play uh, Roma and Cleve and Dion and Ken um, in the early years, and most of them from theater, and some brand new. Um, and I hope those faces get some attention because uh, they worked incredibly hard, just like the older cast, with the real people doing their own research to make sure that this was, again, as authentic and unassailable as possible. And, uh, you know, it's been it's been wonderful that we have uh, we have been touted as having been so honest. And that's not easy in a community as diverse as our community. Um, but uh, it's it's a real compliment um, from my own folks in my own community that they found it so honest and true. And a lot of that credit has to go to those actors who pulled it off. You mentioned the younger actors. How did you go about, given you know the time span, it was important you know that you find younger actors and older actors to play the same part. How did you go about matching them so that they would their performances would match, or did you not? Or you were not concerned about it? Well, you know, two things. That's interesting because it's uh, you know I they worked closely with the real people, um, and and I said to them, do that, do that work. Understand that these people changed massively in the ten year leap. So if I hear here and there a criticism that they don't match, I'm like, that's because in that 10 years we leap, they survived a plague and they changed and they looked very different. But if you compare them to, to the photographs and the, and the film and the video, they all did a masterful job. Um, you know, sadly, you're not going to recognize um, uh the young Ken and the older Ken after 10 years of suffering through AIDS with no treatment. He did not look the same. Mm-hmm. He did not carry himself the same. Neither did Cleve. Neither did Dion, who was trying to keep these men alive in a hospital in San Francisco. Um, so it wasn't matching each other in terms of actors. It was matching the truth. It was matching who were these people before the plague hit and who were they after. Um, and so we used um, we used uh, the real folks as our guiding light, and thankfully uh, they were willing to to come up and to participate uh, with the actors and the costumers and designers and the writers. And of course, I mean they went through huge life changes. They went through huge life changes. I mean, uh, you know, three of these main characters, uh, Ken Jones, Cleve Jones, Cecilia Chung, were HIV positive early on. Uh, and most of their friends did not survive. Um, and they were close to death many times. Um, and, uh, and that takes a toll, losing your family of friends. And that was their only family, because many of these young people lost their families when they came out or were outed. And then to have your family ripped away again by a plague, that changes a person. And the drugs were not easy to survive either. Mm-hmm. And that changed who these people were. Why did you decide on the narrative structure of having Cleve Guy Pierce narrate the story as told as if he was being interviewed by a journalist? Well, I mean, I'm, uh, it is one of so he narrates the first two hours, and then I hand it off to Roma to narrate the next hour, to Ken to narrate the next hour, um, and eventually the the straight daughter of two lesbian parents narrates an hour. But you do come back to uh, at, like a frame to Cleve mm-hmm. again with this young journalist kid, uh, and honest, honestly, it's uh, you know I don't name him, but in two thousand and six or two thousand five, two thousand six, um, I heard Cleve Jones was still alive in in Palm Springs, 
and I was supposed to go out there to help write the book for a rock opera about the AIDS quilt. And and I went out with a friend who wanted to write it. But every time that friend left the room and left Cleve and I alone, I looked at Cleve and I said, tell me about Harvey Milk. And eventually Cleve was like, yeah, let's not do this rock opera about the quilt. You're interested in a guy no one knows anymore. No one asks me about him anymore. And he pulled out this box and he started going through it. And the more questions I asked, the more he could tell I was actually curious. And he hadn't met a generation of young people who were curious about our history and I think it was inspiring to him. But the way he dealt with that was by lighting up a bunch of cigarettes and looking me in the eye and saying, what's it like to be a part of the first generation in this country with no purpose? Man. And what are you going to do about it? And so I answered that call by writing Milk, and I answered that call by going to the U.S. Supreme Court to fight for marriage equality. And, and, it's, and it's, that's how I got to know our history, and that's what I'm sharing with the world now. Uh, I don't name myself, but yeah. Clearly the kid in the room. The, the, kid, the people really paying attention are like, so the guy who did all of Lance's stories as a Mormon in Big Love is now playing the same person in this show. That, he might be trying to tell us something. Uh, and that's Doug Smith. So he comes in and does that. But it's really, you know, I, I also want to be honest that this is my perspective on these lives. Um, and there are probably others' perspectives on these lives. Is there something you learned from this process? I mean, there's there are a thousand things I've learned from this process. Um, I I I would say, um, you know, I, I I learned about myself as a human being, myself in the work that I do. Uh, a lot of that from Roma and Dion, uh, who refuse to use the word "I" when talking about their work, which is very difficult when you're trying to research a script because you need the "I." You need it like literally. What did you did you go to lunch or did we go to lunch? Like who went to lunch? Who ordered what? You just kind of need to know what they did. And it's very we. And as I got frustrated, they explained to me their frustration with too many gay men and men in general using the word I and how that's not helpful and not useful and how that could help make us lose our power. And she was right. You saw that in an election recently. And so learning about – I learned a lot about the word we. Um, and it's why the name stayed what it is. And it's why I told the designers, make that the biggest word in this um, in this series. Um, you know, but I, I relearned lessons that I've learned before. This is hard work telling these stories. And it's hard work getting an audience to it. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it didn't with milk. It didn't with our Supreme Court case. And, and, and it didn't with this. But if you are persistent and you keep at it and you're honest and it was work that will do good, it finds its audience. And I'm so thrilled this show has started to find its audience in a big way. Well, I guess you sort of answered my next question. I was going to say, what was the biggest challenge you faced making this? Well, the big challenge is threading a needle, which is I would not have made this for anyone but ABC. Um, knowing full well that if I had gone to some of my old partners who I love and adore, they would have had more money to spend. There would have been more time to shoot it. Um, but I felt like we would be preaching directly to the choir. And I didn't want to do that again. And But that means, you know, I have to learn about how to write around commercials. Um, there are certain broadcast standards you have to meet, uh, which, by the way, ABC went to bat for me to push those and to make sure we could say things that needed to be said to make it authentic. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and there are the challenges just of making network TV today. There's not unlimited time and there's not unlimited money. 
there's just not and and that presents challenges uh, but we rose to the occasion and um, ABC was there to help me along the way um, and we had a cast and a crew that no one was doing it for the money let me tell you that uh, and there's something about knowing do, no one doing it for the money that means you all work a little harder which is always interesting to me um, and in the end uh, you know I look at it and I know where I've had to compromise to get it done on ABC but then when you get the phone call from Glisten, uh, which advocates for young people, young LGBTQ people in school to be safe, and they say, listen, because this was on ABC, it's past broadcast standards. It's ready for any audience. We can put this in schools. You know, it all feels worth it. Uh, it I'll get tearful. But it's like then I, I realize because we survived those challenges, um, it has a bigger life and it, it will have a bigger reach um, and that it can last and that young people out there and not just LGBTQ young people, but all young people who might feel a little different, which let's be real, that's all of us at a young age, will see that we've had forefathers and foremothers that go back generations that have fought very hard for us. And I think that gives people hope and inspiration and, and hopefully that'll help a new generation rise up a little stronger and to try to fight for good for themselves, their family, and their neighbors. Anything you would have done differently? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who, you know, I, I, I wrote and, and, and then in the end directed uh, some of these. And, and yes, every, every time, I never like anything I do. Can we be honest for two? Like, who does? Who, like, <laughs> No, it's not. It's I. I, know, I I've watched milk twice, and both times I put my hands over my face and go, "Oh gosh, ugh, we just had more time that day." Or if I knew that that was going to happen, we would have reacted this way. And you know, and it's it's always that's that's being a good filmmaker. Whenever I meet a filmmaker who says, "No, that, that we it was great, it was perfect," I'm like, "You're you're you're either lying to yourself or, or to me right now." Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things I would I would do differently, but that's that's. That's film. I mean, at least in film, you get a take two. <laughs> I grew up in theater. You don't even get that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But I wouldn't change any of the major decisions um, uh, that we made about uh, who to depict and, and where to put the show. Anything you left on the cutting room floor you'd like to get back? Yes. Can we please do? I, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at my ABC lovely folks and say let's do a let's do a director's cut one day yeah there's a lot of scenes that um had to be left on the cutting room floor and stories and characters that had to be left on the um cutting room floor um that would have create created more representation of more people of diversity in our movement um and uh you know and i i keep saying to folks like we'll, we'll tell those stories one day we'll get back to that but it's it's network tv you can't go over time mm -hmm. you have to trim it down and so some of that some of that was left i read in an interview where you said you thought the president might like the show do you think so Still think so? I don't think he's seen it. <laughs> I don't think he's. <laughs> I don't think he would be doing the things he's doing if he'd seen it. Uh, you know, I, I and that's that's unfortunate. Like he's clearly takes the time to watch the news to check on in on how he's doing. But how about the fact that you're the president of the United States, sir, and you represent all of us? 
So when we put out onto a major network the story of a good portion of your population's lives, could you please tune in, sir? And you might understand why it is uh, we're so upset at some of the things you're doing and how you're rolling back some of our protections. Um, and so I urge him to watch it. Um, might learn something. And on that note, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Right, thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back later this week with another great episode. We'll be talking to Billion star Maggie Sith. See you next week. This week's podcast was brought to you by the final season of the Emmy Award-winning anthology series American Crime. USA Today says it's reliably brilliant, while the New York Times proclaims it has one of the best ensemble TV casts. Set in North Carolina's farmland, the final season explores the lives of those affected by drug abuse, forced labor, and sex trafficking. Starring an award-winning cast, including Felicity Huffman, Regina King, Lily Taylor, and Benito Martinez, for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.